0: MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, we're back for another show on a day without a game. It's a little bit weird.
1: It is weird. And to think that this is what we did before MLS is back. We did this all the time on a non-game day, but now it just feels awkward. But it is also... Very exciting because we're previewing a final, Joe.
0: Did you think, Jordan, did you think that these two teams, Orlando City and Portland Timbers, who will be playing on Tuesday, August 11th, in the final of the MLS's back tournament, would be here? Because to be honest with you, I didn't. And it's crazy and impressive to me that these teams have found out who they are and done it so effectively throughout this tournament.
1: I didn't predict this. Shocker. But if you look at both of these teams... It's not as surprising to me that Portland is here because over the last handful of years, right? They always seem to find their way into yeah. finals, right? And it, it doesn't matter how the first half of their season goes. It doesn't matter if they're, uh, not even, you know, playing at home. They, they figure out a way. Granted, last year they didn't make it to the final, but they, they made it into the playoffs. And I think that they're just a team who knows how to win when, it counts. So uh, I Orlando, on the other hand, we knew that there was going to be some kind of benefit to playing in a place that you're used to, like Houston, like Orlando, that the weather wasn't going to be an issue, right? The humidity and the heat were going to be an issue. And so that really doesn't shock me. But what shocks me is how quickly Oscar Pereja has turned this team into his team.
0: I'd almost forgotten this because it's been so long, or it feels like it has been, but I I talked with Oscar Brea before the season started, and I, I chatted with him for a piece that I wrote about what he was going to do to this Orlando team and, and what his expectations and goals were for the season, and I went back and read that piece yesterday, and he said that he wanted to have this Orlando City team host a playoff game in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and at the time, I thought to myself, to be transparent, I thought, okay, yeah, we'll see. But he's he's on the way to doing that. We're still early, and and we have more games coming out now that we're going to talk about in just a second here. But the fact that Oscar Boreja has turned this team around completely and has them playing such good soccer, I don't know if there'll be a, a host team in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But I thought that was an interesting nugget because he really has had such a positive effect on this group already.
1: That you saying that makes me interested because I know when we did our season previews, I said something about Orlando being one of the top teams in the East, or at least taking it into the playoffs. And I need to go back and listen to that podcast because I want to know what I said and what I thought. And um, you know, I do think it was around Pereja and it was around Junior Urso and just his grit and his spiciness in the midfield. But we they haven't even had him and they've still had that grit and use utilized some players that They've had and figured out a way.
0: Before we get into more conversation about the Portland Timbers and about Orlando City, as I just mentioned, Major League Soccer announced today, this is Saturday when we're recording and maybe when you're listening, that they have scheduled the first round of games headed into mid-September. So they have games scheduled all the way until September 14th. That's a lot of soccer games coming up because they're cramming them into that schedule.
1: I just looked at the schedule and I was like here we go again. Make sure my coffee's ordered. Make sure <laughs> <laughs> we're prepped and ready. I am so excited. I just did a little dance here. Uh, I am just hopeful. I'm hopeful that things will, it seems like the right protocols have been being worked on by MLS and they've been ready to launch this phase one. And now that it's launched into what this 25th year is going to continue to look like, uh, a lot of these games because they are a little bit more regionalized, create some interesting matchups.
0: They do. And we're excited to get into those games and talk soccer. There's still potential dangers here. There's still coronavirus hotspots in many places across the United States. Major League Baseball and USL have faced some real life-changing challenges trying to play games in markets. I I think it's naive to think that Major League Soccer won't face some of those same issues and problems to work through. So all that is is very real and is going to be something that we will talk about in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other really good coverage on that situation. I, I know allocation disorder with Paul and Sam will have plenty of that coverage. That's that's, to be honest, a better place to look for that sort of thing than we are, Jordan. Right. We're focusing on the games as best we can, but there's there's real discussion here that needs to be had and that is being had by media.
1: Yeah, and it is being had by Major League Soccer as well, because I did see a quote from Don Garber today acknowledging those things that you just said and also saying, you know, if we need to postpone games, we are prepared to put whatever we have to put in place to do that. So, uh, you know, that is something that I'm sure I am, again, very happy. I'm not these people making these decisions, but um, the the decision makers are are putting a lot of thought and time behind how do we do this? And do it so it is ethically sound.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think that's that major news bulletin talked about. Let's get into the main item of this show. And that is a detailed preview of the MLS's back final. I want to start with a little general profile of each team. What they do, okay. how they set up. We, we split our prep in half. You took the Timbers because I had them in the last preview show. And I took Orlando City because you had them in the last preview show. So quick, maybe in in 30 seconds or less, or as few words as possible, how would you describe the Portland Timbers and how they play soccer under Gio Savarese?
1: They are a disciplined team who play in a 4-2-3-1 with those two holding midfielders, that double pivot, who are, I think that that word discipline really speaks to what those two do. They are good on the ball. They can distribute, and it allows the four in front of them to have fluidity in the way that they attack and attack on the counterattack. They want to sit in either in a mid block or a low block, keep the lines between them very tight so they can jump a pass, connect through Blanco and he is key to them, connect through Sebastian Blanco, and then usually in their that break on the counter, and they score a lot of goals that way. Love was it. that 30 seconds? I was
0: pretty close. I lost track okay. of the timer as we Me were going, too. but that was good, Jordan. <laughs> All right, your turn, Joe. Orlando City like to possess the ball. They want to control possession in a 4-2-3-1. They play the same basic shape, at least starting shape, as the Portland Timbers but it's fluid. They want to have the ball on the right side of the field, switch it over to Nani on the left side, have him and Mauricio Pereira control the attack and operate in between the lines, specifically with Pereira there. Those are two of the best attacking players in Major League Soccer. When they lose the ball in the attack, they want to counterpress, win the ball back, and go again. That's Orlando City and how they play soccer under Oscar Pereja.
1: Beep! Oh, good timing. I'm (laughs) just kidding. I made that beep up, but it felt right.
0: (laughs) In those little short, briefings that we just gave on those two teams there's a main contrasting theme there Mm. the timbers don't want the ball orlando city do want the ball so since since that does seem to be a general theme or a likely theme of this game and how we're going to see these 90 minutes play out let's talk about that battle let's talk about the tactical differences there for the portland timbers what are the keys what do they need to do to stay compact defensively and then break forward how does any defense stay compact and cause problems for the opposition
1: One, it is spatial awareness, right? The big criticism I had of Portland at the beginning of the season, so before the season was started till now, is defensively, they really were almost reactive in how they moved, right? But now they are, they anticipate, they stay together as a unit and they make those seams between them so small that it's hard to play very many entry passes into the front runner or into the pockets of space in between the two holding mids or just on the outside of the two holding mids in Chara and Williamson, where teams can then start to try to build up through there, right? Because when you're in a block, sometimes you have to go into the block, into that hot zone where all the players are in order to compact them a little bit more and then spit it out and Make them expand, right? <laughs> so, I've, I that's really like one of the the keys in my in my opinion. So, I feel like Portland does a good job of not letting teams play in those seams. So they almost bait teams into it, and then they can go pick a ball off. The the key though is that they are reading off of each other. They're moving together as a unit from side to side to make sure those lines and spaces don't get too big. So as they're shifting, the numbers are then around the ball when they do win it. What they do then is it's either one person beating the line of counter pressure on the dribble or it's through a quick combination. And honestly, Joe, a lot of the times that has to do with Blanco. Blanco is their outlet mm-hmm. and Blanco is the player that then allows them to create going forward in those counterattack moments. The players that they have in those front four. So in a four, two, three, one, those three higher midfielders, once the ball is turned over, their ability to transition into an attacking posture is incredible. They go and they're almost just running to spots on the field, pulling defenders away to create space for one another. And then Blanco reads it and picks out the right pass. And that's the key. It's Blanco. He's their release valve.
0: And when you talk about spitting drawing a defense in and spitting the ball out. Yeah. I think of Sebastian Blanco in that way because he did that in the goal against I believe it was NYCFC. He draws players in and he plays the ball between between defenders in behind the back line. I, I love that term spitting the ball out, so I was a little yeah. distracted <laughs> by that. But but talking about how the Timbers break out of counter pressure, which is going to be a key facet of this game, I think. Eric Williamson could be a big key to that, and I know this is your team that you previewed, but I want to add that because he's impressed me with how he can burst into space and use his burst of pace to get forward, beat defenders, and get the ball out into dangerous areas, whether that's in transition or even in possession in moments of possession for portland he can he can move into areas, play the ball forward combined with his attacking teammates, Williamson is a guy to watch, I think, or at least a guy I will be watching for the Timbers with how they break forward potentially through Orlando City's counterpress.
1: Well, it's very, it's funny you bring up that New New York City FC game, because I think this game is going to feel a little bit like that. Right. Because New York City is a team that wants the ball. They had a lot of possession in that game against Portland. And you talk about Williamson and Chara in that game. Well, those two only lost the ball through passing in in a passing sequence. They only la- lost the ball four times between the two of them. Hmm. That's not counting if they lost the ball in possession, like out of a dribble, which I doubt they did, because those two don't they're not typically on a dribble anywhere. So yes, that is going to be key because them having the ability to possess with that accuracy allows freedom for the front four to do whatever they want and make the runs that they want to make because they know they can get the ball.
0: And that's important. When I watched the Timbers early on this tournament, when they had more possession in games, I wasn't entirely convinced by their possession structure. Not that there weren't good things going on, but it seemed a little wild and it seemed like the players didn't always have specific ideas of where they were going to go yes Valeri Blanco have plans and have um, ingenuity with the ball but there wasn't that high level of structure there in transition there is in transition mm-hmm. those guys know where to go they know how to get there quickly they know how to pull defenders apart make gaps and then attack into those spaces on the break that's so dangerous from the Portland Timbers and Orlando City is going to have a lot of trouble containing that if they are able to get out on the counter-attack
1: Okay, Joe, I think for right now, because we will talk about both teams again during this podcast, but let's transition to Orlando and you can tell us a little bit more about how this team is going to break down a team like Portland in their defensive structure, in their low block.
0: It's not going to be easy. It's going to be really difficult to find those spaces in central areas, in those inherently more dangerous spots in the attack. Two ways, of course, two ways that I think this can happen. (laughs) The first is with those right to left attacking switches that I mentioned at the top of the show or or close to the top of the show. Orlando City loves to get the ball on the right side, switch the point of attack over to Nani on the left side. In this game, it's Chris that he's matched up against. I'm not Nani and I couldn't beat Chris on the dribble, but Nani can. And he probably will in this game. He did it to Hassani Dotson in the last game for Orlando City. He did it to Tristan Blackman in the game before that, if I've got my schedule straight in my head, which is entirely possible that I do not. But he's beaten opposing right backs over and over and over again in this tournament. So as the Portland Timbers squish, vertically squish those guys, their defensive players into the three central vertical channels of the field, leaving the wings open, Orlando City, or, or if I'm Orlando City, I'm saying, fine. We love that. We want to play out wide, switch the ball, and then have Nani be the penetrating player on the far left side, have him dribble at the right back, break you down, shoot, square the ball in the middle to Pereira or to Tesho Akandele. then you're cooking. So that's way number one. Way number two, I'll keep it brief. Sort of can be summed up as Mauricio Pereira.
1: (laughs) I think that's fair, actually. But to be be
0: more specific, I want him to do what Blanco did against NYCFC. Draw the defenders in, spit the ball out. You talked about it, and I, I mentioned the Blanco example I want him to do that. Why not get the ball in front of maybe slightly outside of one of the opposing double pivot players, Diego Chara, mm-hmm. Eric Williamson, get the ball, dribble forward, either outside or, or into the middle of those two guys, suck the center backs in, suck the opposing full back in wherever you are in the, in the final third, drag those players to you, play the ball in behind the back line. Maybe that's to Juan on the right side. That's a huge threat for Orlando City in the final third. Get him crossing the ball into the box with low, accurate crosses. Pereira's action and involvement inside that final third, wherever he is vertically on the field, that's a great way for Orlando City to break through this block.
1: Yeah, I agree. One of the things that I think we should talk about is I don't know who's going to play right back for Portland because we've seen Bonilla play there. We've seen Duvall play there, and that is going to be a key place for Portland, right? They're going to have to figure out which is the best player that can mark up against Nani and then the help defense next to them. Mabiala is typically that right center back and Chara is that right holding midfielder. So how do those three work together to provide proper help defense when the,
0: when there is that,
1: drag and and
0: bring all to the right side and switch to Nani. If Jordan Angeli is in charge of the Portland Timbers, how are you defending Nani? How are you marking him? How are you closing down his space to limit his involvement in that attacking area?
1: You know, I this is one of the things I've thought about because... It's it's hard for me because I was talking about, if you remember the last episode when we talked about Portland, who was the player that picked up the most balls in the left side of the defensive third?
0: Sebastian Blanco.
1: So I'm wondering, do you put Blanco on Nani's side to do that defensive help work and then push forward and say, all right, Nani, I'm going to go. And that me going as I'm Blanco, if I'm playing on the right side, is then giving freedom for the outside back behind me to maybe go too, right? Because a lot of players are going to swarm towards Blanco. So then is the channel more open for the outside back? I kind of think you switch Blanco to the right side.
0: Wow. that's I hadn't thought about that. He's almost two-footed. So thinking about the attacking part first... I'm not sure that really limits him in what he can do out wide. He's still gonna gravitate towards those central areas. He's still gonna get on the ball. So I'm not sure it makes any difference or or it's any worse having him on the right side versus the left side. And if we expect Valeri to start in this game up top next to a Bobasi or slightly underneath him, that could be a really viable way to give Nani more to think about. Because that's what you're doing, right? You're saying, okay, we're gonna put our best playmaker, our best player on your side. And if you leave him, if you lose the ball in the attack we're going and Sebastian Blanco is going forward. Now, what are you going to do about it?
1: The ultimate MVP contest (laughs) on that one side, really just like head to head. We're going for it. I mean, they're not going to be head to head all the time, but I think it just, it might make Nani have to defend differently. And if you get him defending differently, then maybe he's attacking differently. Uh, So I don't know. That's just one of the things that I, I thought of. And To me, I don't know. I don't know who I would choose between Duvall and Bonilla. I'm not super convinced.
0: I'm not overly familiar with either one of their games, just to be open and honest about that. I haven't seen and paid enough specific attention to those two guys at right back, because for the Timbers, it's about the midfielders and it's about the attacking players.
1: Yeah, they don't need to. They don't use them very much when they do use an outside back. It's typically their left back.
0: Yeah, I agree. Are are there any other tactical things or matchups that you want to get into before we highlight A couple quick players to watch and get out of here.
1: I have been talking. I'm going to throw it to you because one of the things I was thinking about is if you're Orlando, who's the who are the players that you can't do without that really make this team? And I think their center backs are some of those players like their their elevation in center back has been night and day really this year. And if you don't have the center backs that they have, I think that they don't make it to the final, do you?
0: No, I, I, they're they're not making it to the final without Antonio Carlos and without Janssen. And these are my two players to watch, so we're just going to go ahead and, and squish these two sections together. Defensively, they have stepped in one balls, stopped LAFC in transition. Very, 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 very hard to do if you're Orlando City or if you're any team in Major League Soccer. They did that offensively. Antonio Carlos had a moment against Minnesota United in the semifinal round where he just strode forward. There was no one around, but he took space confidently, dribbled forward, and played a pass into the attack. That's beautiful. Janssen had that incredible assist. I believe on the commentary they said it was the second longest assist of the entire season, second after that David Bingham... I don't even know, you know what you call that. It was so beautiful against Ping. the Houston Dynamo. If if I'm if you're listening to this show, you know what I'm talking about. So these two guys can play make offensively. I know those are only two moments, but I think they embody how these guys can play, or how they are playing right now under Oscar Pereja. I've seen them produce positive moments and positively impact Orlando City's attack and defense. Those two guys are going to be huge in this one.
1: I too, Joe, am going with two players. Well done. One of which you have already spoke about, Eric Williamson and Diego Chara. I'm going with these two players because there's a, a side of me that also thinks maybe at times Orlando will allow Portland to have possession and then try to catch them on a counter themselves. And the reason I say this is because this is what we saw sometimes when Portland was playing Houston is Houston sat back and... And sometimes Portland does counter press when they're in their attacking third and there are numbers around the ball, which they do get numbers high quickly because of how they counter attack. Right. So Portland would get into this place where they would have all four of their attackers up and Diego Chara and Eric Williamson are really the base of that attack. And if they get pulled out of that holding midfield space, which Houston did a couple of times, Houston then attacked quickly. And there's a huge gap in the field for Portland without those two holding mids. So it's, it's not only the discipline of those two in those moments when Portland does have the ball and that they're making sure that that space for the counter is occupied, And they can cancel that out for Orlando. And it's how they play attacking. I already said that these two are so good in possession. And when they're playing out of pressure, especially those first couple passes that allow Portland to counterattack, they're going to be key. If they can make those passes and stay accurate in their passing, they they really are what allows the front four to have the fluidity that they
0: have. I appreciate that you covered all our bases there because we sort of structured this preview episode under the assumption that Orlando City will control the ball, push forward, Portland will sit back and counter. And now, just in case, in case that doesn't happen, you have allowed us to say, we talked about that too. In case the Portland Timbers <laughs> have more possession higher up the field and Orlando City give that to them force the Timbers to break them down. We've got all our bases covered, Jordan.
1: I know. And think about that. If that does happen and Nani streaking, you know, when Nani gets in full sprint and he's like a different beast, like I can just see it happening on the left side. Portland are just out of sorts a little bit, pushing too high. And in two passes, Orlando can be out with Nani on the left side. So we will see Joe.
0: (laughs) We, we will. will see. We don't know what's going to happen in this game. I don't know. You don't know. Listeners, if you do know. Uh, yeah, let us know. You should be betting on this game or at least just <laughs> in our DMs. But that is our preview of the MLSS Back Tournament Final. We will have a show analyzing and reviewing and talking about all the big moments from that game out Tuesday night after the match ends, after we've had time to sit down, get through our notes, collect ourselves and record. And then we'll we'll move forward. We're going to figure out how to cover these upcoming MLS games. We're going to figure out what all the right balances are. But we'll get to that later. Right now, we've yeah. got one more strong episode in this tournament. Jordan, thanks for riding along. Thank you for chatting soccer with me today. And we'll be back soon.
1: Yeah, this is fun. Can't wait for the final, Joe.
0: Let's do this thing. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back Tuesday.